Hello, and welcome to Over My Head, a look back at Pop's past, presented to you by Los Lovely Boys. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast to get these episodes as they drop. The music for our podcast today is provided to you by the artist Friend of Yours. They have some new music on their page, so make sure that you go check that stuff out. This is a podcast where we dissect all things pop from the recent past. Today we are hoping to answer the all-important question, why did the song Crazy by Gnarls Barkley pop? This is episode 15 of our show, and guys, this is a pretty interesting one that we have to break down this week. Um, it's a duo who is not a duo for long, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, they uh, had so- solo careers before forming as one with Niles Barkley, and then they went their separate ways, and their careers kept continuing independently. Yep. The Odd Couple, as the album title would call it. And who is the odd couple? Uh, CeeLo Green and Danger Mouse. And we'll get into them uh, in the episode. So if you're unfamiliar with either of those two, you probably have heard of their work. But if you're unfamiliar, you'll find out more. Yeah, or maybe you just didn't know that Gnarls Barkley was CeeLo Green and Danger Mouse. I didn't know for a long time. And then you're Which like, Which I feel like sense, is a very actually. common thing. Like, it, it wasn't explained at the time. And it was just an inexplicably no. huge song. It sounded like it was like, it, it sounded new. I mean, so, you know, kudos. I wonder how many people thought it was uh, Charles Barkley singing. Probably many. Under the name Charles Barkley. <laughs> Probably many. I, if that was Charles Barkley singing. His speaking voice is very I unique. I love Charles Barkley, but uh, yeah. I would love to hear him sing. Yes, I love Charles Barkley. Sir Chuck. Exactly. Um, yeah, but uh, not a lot going on. Um, guys, we didn't get to talk about this though last week, and I was actually really bummed that we didn't talk about it, but... We need to talk about the smoked watermelon that we saw. Um, yeah, on the that's internet. a thing. Uh, yeah, Chris hated it. So if you guys don't know, we'll put this in the show notes. Uh, it, it's a little bit older now, but um, we saw the thing that looked like it looked like yeah, a ham. They smoke it as, right? it as though it it's looks ham, like a ham like with the ham ash and shit. Like it's it's an abomination. It, they make a skin <laughs> of watermelon. Yeah, they skin a watermelon and they put it in the smoker and it looks like ham. And they season it like ham. They season it like ham. Bear that in mind. So so someone who tried it said, well, it doesn't taste like ham, but it doesn't taste like watermelon. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. It looked pretty appetizing, like when they grilled it before they cut into it. And then when they cut into it, like if you didn't know it was watermelon, you'd think it was like really undercooked ham, like bleeding everywhere. Um, <laughs> no, it's just watermelon juice, but it it looks really disgusting. The smoked watermelon, just like we we didn't have enough this year. You know, they just had to give us the smoked <laughs> watermelon. <laughs> Some people um, actually put salt on their watermelon. I don't know if you've known anyone who's done that. Gross. So maybe they're like, hey, let's just roll with it. No, I don't put salt on my watermelon. I think, I think it's, it's an weird, abomination. I don't know. Maybe you don't put will. salt on fruit. You don't put salt on fruit. No, exactly. Chris tells it the way it is. But so if you guys would try smoked watermelon, let us know, I guess. If you have tried smoked watermelon, please, please let us I'm know. Curious. Because we would like to hear what. Uh, what is going on uh, with this? Um, and then let's break down what we've been listening to. Um, I've actually been taking a lot of Chris's advice lately and listening to some songs he's been sending nice. over. Um, the Woo by Pop Smoke um, is a great song. Um, the guitar, um, Pop Smoke, you know, sounds like, you know, Travis Scott essentially on that song. Um, that's a, might be the most blatant way to put it. Um, it is a great song. Um, 
What's Poppin' by Jack Harlow is also an amazing song. The remix is great, too. Um, Tory Lanez is on it. We had some uh, breaking news about Tory Lanez that just broke. Uh, we were recording this about a week before we if normally If Tory Lanez uh, did anything to is. Megan The Stallion deliberately to hurt her, oh, I will be mad. Uh, but Tory Lanez, DaBaby, um, Jack Harlow, and Lil Wayne um, on What's Poppin' is, is a great song. And then I have been listening to Rockstar a little bit more, too. Uh, we talked about the Rockstar influence with um, Shop Boys. I almost said them Franchise Boys, not them Franchise Boys, <laughs> Shop Boys. Um, but um, that song's pretty good, too, um, the guitar and everything, too. Um, and Roddy Rich is just killing it with everything that he does. He he is on a, a mm-hmm. run, um, and maybe we'll continue to be on a run too. But what have you guys been listening to? Well, um, it, we're recording this on a Thursday, so a lot of music is about to hit tonight. Uh, but I've been listening to a lot of TikTok songs, um, and one of those is called "Stefan is fully engulfed in in TikTok." Yeah, he's keeping uh, us. He's keeping us up everything now. He's keeping yes, us young. Um, I'm basically integrated with Gen Z, so I understand them now. I did not a month ago, and now I do. Uh, one of the best songs of this year, and I don't know if this is the actual name of the title, but it's called I'ma Let You Hit It For Free, and it's by an artist <laughs> called DDLG PP Cocaine. She is great. Um, I won't sing it. I, w- I can't do it justice. But is that the, is that the if I back it up, is it fat enough? No, that's great too. That's great too. See, um, I, I don't even, I don't even know. I like that one though. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll send you I'll guys a, a link, and yeah, we'll include yeah. it in the show notes for you. Uh, but really, the first time you hear it, you'll be wowed by this person's vocals and the lyricism. All right, all right. I'm, I'm all excited right. to hear it. Um, so, what else have you been listening to besides uh, TikTok songs? Um, in doing the research for this podcast, we'll get into this, but Danger Mouse had a. Uh, a huge, huge project in the early 2000s called The Gray Album, where he basically took the White Album by The Beatles and the Black Album by Jay-Z, and I love both those artists, and I got into a wormhole today. So we'll get it into is, that more. It is a classic. Yes, indeed. Chris, what have you been listening to? Yeah, so um, so actually a couple, uh, either a day or a couple days after um, this episode releases, um, Tomorrowland Around the World is going to be streamed. Um, it's going to be the first fully online version of the Belgian Tomorrowland Festival. Um, an all-time dream for me to attend that. And I'm now going to get to um, blast it in my parents' basement. So... Um, I uh, so I've been listening to a lot of the folks from there. Um, Amelie Lenz, Kolsch, I think is how you pronounce his name, and C O with a with an umlaut, and then or K O umlaut, whatever. Um, and then uh, Eric Prides, um, and uh, and of course, um, of course, Katy Perry, who inexplicably is on that lineup. Um, they just announced the set time She's today, and she has fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah they, they gave her 15 well she's like slotted like in the mid card but they're like treating her like a headliner okay. i don't know i, I she's heavily pregnant so maybe get, get the bag minutes. you know get the get the bag is she just gonna like promote her new Probably. album you think and that's it um anyway yeah so i'm listening to a bunch of that um uh i, I did actually listen to smile by Katy perry her most recent song which is better than i thought i'll give her that um 
James Blake, Are You Even Real? Huge jam. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, uh, Kelly Lee Owens is continuing her streak. On is a great song. And uh, tonight, tonight, uh, Klo, K-L-L-O, their album drops. I'm very excited. Still here is one of my favorite songs of the year. Um, and, um, and that new friend of yours also we'll just uh we'll just go with that um, i heard it's a, a double release is that true it is a double release it's me it, i made those songs hey, I... you heard it first. <laughs> yes they they are great we we get the the, the sneak peeks and everything with it yeah i'm just good. glad to, i'm just glad to get it done um so uh so yeah that's a that's a thing that's happening it always feels weird it's like you see you see your song on spotify like it's very it's much easier to do that these days than i feel like people acknowledge and uh, it's a it's a pretty magical thing um so yeah i'm excited about that yeah absolutely so go check out all those um especially the friend of yours songs that are dropping um, and everything too. And then I do want to give actually a, a little remembrance uh, guys to one of our favorite college bars. Maybe not Chris's Kristen. Like I'm not going to lie. I was um, very sad. One of our favorite college bars, Roxy's apparently is up for sale um, in Columbia, Missouri. Um, I legitimately thought about buying it. I did. I really did. I'm not going to, but uh, we had a lot of rum and diet Cokes in our day. So I'm going to rum and, and diet yeah. to signify the end of an I had at tonight. least three panic attacks on that dance floor, and <laughs> I definitely, I definitely also had good times. Also, it was across the street from El Rancho, so it'll forever be tied in my. Could always run away to El Rancho. Could always run away to El Rancho. Yes, yes, you could. So we're we're drinking one or one uh, out for Roxy's. For, for Roxy's, our, our, our favorite college bar. But with that, let's get into everything. As you all know, for legal reasons, by now can't play the song. Please go listen to it wherever you can. I forgot how much of a banger this song was. You know it. You've heard it. But go listen to it again. Get it in your mind. Go and support the artist. And then afterwards, we're going to break down the memories surrounding the song, history, production, lyrics, have the top ten back then, and everything that you'll want and more in this episode. So listen to some notes that remind you of Crazy, and we'll see you on the other side. Now that we are back, let's break down some of our memories surrounding the song. Stefan, I'm going to throw it to you first this time. Give me some of your memories regarding the song Crazy. Uh, This was one of the first songs on a new iPod I got. I forgot which iPod, but I remember bumping it the hell out of it. It was definitely smack in the middle of the iPod era. And uh, yeah, the digital downloads reflected that. And then this song was everywhere, man. Like, it's very friendly. There's no curse words. It's kind of sad and melancholy but triumphant at the same time and i think that's why it's so popular with a lot of people CeeLo kills it and uh yeah this song has continued to be in all sorts of media i think my favorite example of it is in the movie kick-ass where anthony actually has a doppelganger uh christopher mince platts otherwise known as mclovin uh and he plays the villain in kick-ass i can't remember if it's kick-ass one or two uh but there's a scene of him just absolutely like bop into this song in some very fancy car uh so i can easily imagine anthony doing the same thing in fact i've seen him do that 
Uh, so it was kind of <laughs> uncanny to see his doppelganger uh, bump to that song the way Anthony would. Yeah. Um, I remember that from Kick-Ass as well, too. Um, I think one of the things that I remember on this song is it's very interesting because the memories I have with it are being at the pool, like when I was 12 years old, you know, and you would hear this, like mm. it was on the radio everywhere, but I remember just like being at the pool in the summer and this playing over the speakers. And I know it's a very specific memory, but it's one I think that people our age and maybe just in general, if you were, you know, in that summer, this is one of the songs that you would hear. Mm-hmm. And I just remember swimming and like life was good. And then this would come on and you're like, okay, this song's amazing. And, you know, you'd swim or you, you would do whatever you could um, as well. Um, CeeLo Green has such an interesting voice and such a unique voice that I think Danger Mouse really did him justice. He does, I mean, everyone he works with justice, but I think he was like, this is, you know, something that we can make it. You know, your voice is so unique that it kind of plays along with the crazy theme of the song and, you know, the strings and everything as well. They're working with it. Um, CeeLo Green um, is in a song on Man on the Moon 2 with Kid Cudi too. And it's like one of those things even where it's just like, you know, that it, it adds another dimension on top of it. And I know that singers and, you know, musicians have that, but I think CeeLo Green's voice does just different things than other voices do as well too so perfect song and perfect you know pairing as well which we'll get to some of that too but chris what do you remember with this song yeah i mean i uh i definitely remember um not so much the pool but i i remember the ipod era of that um and Mm -hmm. i remember right around the time that i had gotten i don't think it was called the ipod classic at this point but when they first did video um on the ipod i had uh i had that ipod and um and this was uh i used to sit and watch that video like i remember being in the backseat of my parents car just watching the video and listening to the song and just loving it um so as with um as with a number of songs that we've mentioned um on here this was popular when we were in middle school i was in europe um and this song was huge this was um, this was in every store, everywhere, and actually the album was everywhere as well. I remember just seeing that cover like constantly. Um, I think the biggest um, I think the biggest song that wasn't this was uh, "Gone Daddy Gone" in Europe, um, but I I mean it's kind of hard to beat "Crazy," you know. Like this is one of those songs that just kind of strikes you. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, when did, when did I last when did I last like hear it in the wild? It was at some bar, and everyone's just like, bum, bum, bum. it's just it's just everybody knows that song, you know. Um, I think it's a I think it's close to a perfect pop song, if anything. Um, so yeah, we were deciding what we were gonna do this week, and like I was like, oh, I I haven't heard this song in a while, and like we were like, whoa, this is like one that was huge and is still huge. So, um, good one to break down. Um, you know, it's kind of funny when you, Chris, you talk about the like beginning just parts of the song. You almost think that first it's a Pharrell beat because Pharrell always repeats the first four bars of a song when he produces it, and yeah. like Danger Mouse does it here, and you're like. Well, maybe I could see Pharrell like producing something like this too. So whether he would did it intentionally or just as a way to you know to line it up, um, it's still really awesome that that's how it catches you and you you remember those first you know four beats before the song starts. You know, I never put that together, but you're right. 
very Pharrell-like. And yeah, he loves his four count. Yeah, for those of you out there, if you don't know this, Pharrell, um, you know, he never ages, first of all. But um, other than that, um, he starts most of his songs, if not every song, with the first note repeating four times. So that's how you can tell it's a Pharrell song. So think like Drop It Like It's Hot, Money Maker, um, songs like that too. So just a fun little fact in there. But let's get into this song because this isn't a Pharrell episode. This is a Danger Mouse and CeeLo Green, Gnarls Barkley episode. So Stefan, let's break down. You said that you're going to kind of do it a little bit differently because there's a lot to break down with group individuality and everything too. So let's hear it. Yeah, so we had two solo artists who started to establish their own careers, and then they decided to collaborate as one as a side project called Gnarls Barkley, and then after that, they separated. So we'll start out with uh, CeeLo's career and Gnarls Barkley's career independently, and then we'll meet them in the middle. So let's start with CeeLo, because he had the earlier beginnings. He's a bit older. Uh, CeeLo Green was born Thomas DiCarlo Calloway in Atlanta, Georgia. Another guy, another girl, another artist from Atlanta. It's not a coincidence. And um, he joined a little group called Goody Mob in 1991. And what was crazy to me is he is 16 years old when he joined. Uh, He was born in 75. He's the youngest of the group. Other members include Big Gip, Timo, and Cujo. And um, if you're unfamiliar, because you might be a little young, if you're younger than us or our age, uh, Goody Mob was a hip-hop group, and it was integrated in that Atlanta scene, the Dirty South. Um, it was part of a collective called the Dungeon Family, which included a little group called Outcast and Sleepy Brown. Uh, so those three artists, uh, Goody Mob, Outcast, and Sleepy Brown, did a lot of collaboration. Sleepy Brown would produce a lot of their work, and they were really integrated throughout the whole decade. So uh, CeeLo's career begins to take off. The first real breakthrough he has is kind of before Goody Mob. He's included on the Outcast debut album, Southern Playalistic Idyllic Music, and I guarantee I butchered that. What? Do you guys know how to pronounce that? Southern Play... play it, it's like Spotty Dopalicious, but it's an album. Yeah, but Southern play Playalistic Cadillac. You say that five times fast. Guarantee you won't Southern do a better job. Playalistic Cadillac music. Uh, I would not say better <laughs> that it five times in a row, but that is what that's outcast thing, especially in the early nineties. <laughs> um, so songs that he collaborated on include "Get Up," uh, "Get Out," and "Call of the Wild." And he was a pretty young guy at this point. Uh, and then he would also sing the backing vocals on a little song released in nineteen ninety five called "Waterfalls" by TLC. I had no idea he was on the backing vocals. I tried listening to it and could not make it out, but he's in there. I promise. So Goody Mob, they actually released their debut album after all these collaborations. It's called Soul Food in 1995. It's their biggest album commercially. Uh, You probably know them for the song Cell Therapy. It was number one on the rap chart, number 39 on uh, the Hot 100. That was their most successful hit. They would have another album in 1998 called Still Standing, a third one in 1999 called World Party, and uh, that third album... Not great commercially, but this is where CeeLo actually had the most creative control and uh, a point in his career where he wanted to start moving more independently. So he left the group after 1999 to pursue a solo career due to creative differences. Goody Mob keeps going without him, uh, but CeeLo, the first thing he did after leaving 
He's featured on the 1999 Santana album, which is amazing, uh, Supernatural. And it's an album track, you know, it's not smooth, but it's called Do You Like The Way? And uh, it's Lauren Hill and CeeLo Green. And this was kind of the first dabbling of CeeLo leaving hip-hop R&B more into soul and even rock because of Santana. Uh, This would be a sign of things to come with the cross-genre blend of his career. So after that collaboration, he finally releases his first two albums as a solo artist. This is after 10 years in the game. We're in 2002. First album is called CeeLo Green and His Perfect Imperfections. You can start to kind of get a sense that he's a character with these album names. And then his second one is CeeLo Green is the Soul Machine, and that happens in 2004. Uh, The second album had major features. We've got Ludacris, Atlanta, T.I., Atlanta, and Pharrell Williams, which Anthony mentioned before. Uh, and But this was him taking that Southern hip-hop that he grew up with and blending it with soul. Like, his voice lends perfectly to soul, as we'll learn with Crazy. Uh, but this album did not really perform that well commercially, and the label Arista actually dropped him due to low album sales. So we're going to leave there with CeeLo. It's 2004. He's down on his luck. He's down on his luck. Oh, no. But hold that thought. Now we're going to jump to Danger Mouse. So Danger Mouse is a New Yorker. He's an actual human. His name is Brian Joseph Burton. And uh, he was a college student, you know, like many people. Went to the University of Georgia in Athens, Georgia. Nice little college town for a telecommunications degree. But he began to work on trip hop on the side. And he chose the name Danger Mouse. It comes from a British cartoon. If you're British, you probably know it. Uh, but he would actually perform in a mouse outfit, much like another DJ we know as Dead Mouse, uh, because he was too shy to show himself. Do you know if that's the reason why Dead Mouse does it too, Chris? I do not, but Dead Mouse is an icon. Oh. Yeah, I wouldn't classify Dead Mouse as a shy guy. He yeah. <laughs> usually says what's on his mind. No, but but Sia wears the yeah. wigs and she's shy, so that kind of makes sense that they they do it to hide the what they yeah. look like for. Yeah, yeah you want to separate the artist from the human, right? Yeah, give some mystery. Yeah, and we don't know him as Brian Joseph Burton. We know him as Danger Mouse. Um, so it worked. And he has three works released while he's still a student. And in 1998, he actually enters a talent contest. He doesn't win, but he gets second. And the prize for that, I guess, is opening up a concert at the University of Georgia. That's and who dope. is he opening up for? outcast and goody mob who would have thought wow so nice. he actually meets CeeLo there he gives CeeLo a demo tape and the two go their separate way CeeLo's still in goody mob he's got things to do he's actually experiencing a pretty good career danger mouse is kind of a struggling college student putting more emphasis into his music at this point they go their separate ways for now and then danger mouse he leaves college he officially releases music under the name danger mouse and his first project is with rapper Gemini on the album Ghetto Pop Rock Life. But the real big break, which I kind of teased in the opener, is the landmark album, The Grey Album. And this was landmark because it took the Beatles' most complex album, The White Album, maybe not most complex, but most bloated, and then it took The Black Album, which was released in 2003, a year earlier by Jay-Z, and blended those sounds so he chopped up the beatles instrumentation their vocals 
and really laid over Jay-Z's verses, and it's beautiful. It works, and it doesn't make sense how it works, but it does. And it's funny because he initially released it just for friends, but because we're in the digital era, somehow that, you know, tape that he released for his friends ended up on the internet. And from there, it just spread like wildfire. The media ate it up. He gets named among the men of the year in GQ magazine. Rolling Stone called it the ultimate remix record. And Entertainment Weekly called it the best record of the year. And this is a mixtape that he sent to his friends. It's crazy. That he technically, yeah, didn't have the rights no. yeah. to. It was a mixtape, so he didn't sell it. But yeah, he was just it's like the ultimate around and was story. like, oh, th- this, this works. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it's incredible that who, who would think <laughs> about that? Like, let's make the put the black album on top of the white album, call it the gray album. And, and it, it makes works. sense because if you mix black and white, you get gray. Really? Yeah. Newsflash. Oh, thank you, Picasso. I'm telling you, grab your paint and see what happens. It's magic. <laughs> Sandra Mouse knew this. All right. Real Picasso over here. So I will get away from art. I'm not an expert in that. But we're going back to Danger Mouse. He gets attention from the music community due to this mixtape of the era. And that grabs the attention of a guy named Damon Albard. And he fronts the animated band Gorillaz. And before you know it, Danger Mouse, who was a college student making trip-hop beats, is now producing Demon Days, which gets Grammy nominations. He gets nominated for Producer of the Year. You know this album for Feel Good, Inc. and more. It's beautiful. Iconic album. (laughs) And then from there, he would continue kind of going back to his hip-hop roots. Um, He worked on a collaboration with a rapper named MF Doom. And then it was called Danger Doom. Go figure. And one of those songs was with a guy named CeeLo Green. So this is in 2004, 2005. Remember, he dropped off a tape to CeeLo in 1998. So now they're reunited. And CeeLo, like we mentioned, was kind of down on his luck, dropped by his label after his first two solo albums didn't perform that well. Danger Mouse, he's ascending. Like, he's got the eyes of the mainstream media, mainstream artists, and they decide to collaborate here. Uh, They're kind of converging and Danger Mouse says, let me lift you up. So they start collaborating on some songs other than that Danger Doom album. And these songs would take form into a thing called Gnarls Barkley. And your first question is, why did they decide on the name Gnarls Barkley? And in an interview with The Guardian, CeeLo said, you ask me why we're called Gnarls Barkley. And I'm asking you, why not? Danger Mouse elaborated. He said, there's no story behind it. The name doesn't have to do with anything. The interviewer said, not Charles Barkley. It's very similar. He's an NBA player. Very famous guy. And they're like, nah, this is Gnarls Barkley. Completely different. (laughs) Well, I'm guessing they probably got really, really baked and were like, this is hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. This this is it. It's Gnarls Barkley. Yeah, and the promotion for their first album, St. Elsewhere, like, this is where CeeLo assumes crazy outfits, which he still does to this day. Like, they're always, they're masquerading as these weird people from movies like A Clockwork Orange. Um, they, it is very trippy, like you just described. Um, so the stars have crossed, and we have Gnarls Barkley, and they have their name, they have their pseudonym, they have their persona, but they need to release the actual music. And they kind of wanted to make that album Saint Elsewhere, and have it be a narrative about this guy they created, Gnarls Barkley. 
and uh, this is crazy. Apparently, this character they created, Norris Barkley, is friends with people like Isaac Hayes, Gordon Gano, and they said that he makes love to Janet Jackson and Mariah Carey. Okay. So he's uh, promiscuous, and he's got friends in high places. And they make this song with an introverted look at this persona of Norris Barkley, and that song is crazy. As Anthony's going to get into the lyrics, it's you know rise and fall all in between very complex and uh yeah if you're gonna make an album about a persona crazy is that meat of that persona and crazy what a powerhouse debut this was their first single off the bat and what is crazy about crazy is how fast everything moved um CeeLo recorded the entire vocal in one take he was he had the lyrics and he just took off and if you think about the vocal performance That's crazy. I'm going to say crazy a lot. Danger Mouse then took the single and they weren't signed. He wanted to go to an independent label that would have the same resources as a major label. So they settled on Downtown Records. The A&R guy listened to it. And after a single listen, he says, once in a while you hear a record that is so obviously so important on so many levels and they signed them immediately. So he knew it was golden off the bat, but he wasn't the only guy who felt that way. Um, Crazy is released. It's leaked ahead of schedule in 2005. Uh, and that was because a demo was sent to BBC Radio. And there's a guy named Zane Lowe who loved it so much. He locked, locked in. in. He was locked into Crazy. He used it in the ads for uh, the Radio 1 show. The Brits just eat this up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're like smacking at the lips for it. They're downloading it there. And this is the dawn of the digital era. So we have some more billboard shenanigans. Well, not billboard shenanigans because this is the UK charts, but we have some chart shenanigans. So it ends up being released as a digital download on March 13th, 2006. goes to number one on March 22nd. And it was so massive that it changed the rules of the UK charts. So prior to this song, in April 2006... Download sales only counted towards the charts if the song could also be bought in physical stores. Like I mentioned, everything moved so quick with this song, they kind of released it ahead of schedule because it was leaked. Uh, It was only available for digital download, but there were so many, they said, we have to count this as a chart. Which leaking would have been relatively new at this time too when you really think about it. i mean like leaks happen of course but like with the internet and stuff you're like all right you well know, i think what's interesting it. about that it was happening before but it was mostly from the traditional you pull a cd off a factory like line you know um this mm-hmm. was a uh, and young you might have read more specifically but to my to my understanding this was a mostly digital focused leak like this is being passed around um online on like LimeWire yes. or whatnot yeah it's not a physical copy like um it was being shared through the internet which you know like anthony said that wasn't really the medium for leaks yet now it's commonplace like it happens with everything and sometimes it's planned it was not planned here and uh they changed the rule so now because of crazy they said okay digital downloads can count as long as you have physical copies available the next week and i'm sure that's changed but this is 2006 like we've said in other episodes charts and labels did not know how to account for the digital download era and this is another example so the song's on top of the charts for nine weeks and the record label says oh god we gotta make sure consumers 
remember the song fondly and not get sick of it. So they pull it from the stores on May 29th. Another thing I don't think would happen today. Yeah, someone tell uh, Circles by Post Malone to get off the radio then, if that's the case. It's been years, years, goddammit. It's been a long time. (laughs) So yeah, the UK, like uh, Chris mentioned, it's huge in Europe. It's huge in the UK. Over in the States, it would peak at number two on July 21st, 2006. Like I mentioned, it peaked in the UK at number one in April. Um, And it would stay on the Hot 100 chart for 29 weeks, so over half a year. Number seven overall for the year-end, 2006, in the States. Um, We talked about this being global. It was number one in Austria, Belgium, Denmark, Hungary, Ireland, New Zealand, Scotland, Switzerland, and the UK, where it was the number one song of the year. So huge song all around. You can see why. In terms of awards, gets nominated for Record of the Year in 2007 at the Grammys. It loses to the Dixie Chicks song, song, Now They Are the Chicks. Not ready to make nice. I disagree. <laughs> you tell me. Uh, you know, it, I'm mad about that, but it did earn an actual award. The Best Urban Alternative Performance Award. But damn it, th- this might be the record of the decade, and it <laughs> didn't win record of the year, so I'm pretty salty. It's often how those things go. It's true. Hindsight is 2020. Ask Kendrick Lamar how he feels about Macklemore. About Macklemore. Oh, that has not aged. It didn't age well the day of, but like really now. Oh, God. That got me mad. So it's, like I mentioned, I would argue it. it's up there for record of the decade. A lot of journalistic publications agreed. Rolling Stone named it the best song of 2006. They named it the top song of the decade out of the top 100 songs. And that 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list we've mentioned a few times, it's number 100 on there. So Rolling Stone loves the shit out of the song. So this is the highest song that we've done, I think, that has been in the top 500. I think so. Right? Yes. We mentioned them in other ones. Yeah. Yeah, like Cry Me a River was in the low 400s, or high 400s. Um, I want to say there was another, but, you know, number 100 out of the top 500, you're in the 20th percentile, so pretty big acclaim and you know this podcast is about the decade of the 2000s and they ranked it as the number one song for the decade so yes this is the rolling stone would say this is the best song we've covered uh pitchfork ranked at number 11 out of the top 200 Damn. number one for that list was uh bob bombs over baghdad by outcast so Oh, I, thought you meant, I thought you meant song by B.O.B. for a second. Airplanes? Like, it's up there for me, at least. Uh, different Bombs thing. Over Baghdad is, is a great song. And I think Airplanes might have been 2010. So, uh, yeah, if it was in the decade, it might be up there. So, Noel's Barkley, they have this, like, decade-defining song. Chris will get into why it's, like, just so unique. But it's nothing like what was released on the radio at the time. It's got soul and spaghetti western strings, and CeeLo's amazing vocal performance. How do you come back from that? This is a side project. Um, they do decide to release a second album called The Odd Couple, which describes them perfectly. They name the album The Odd Couple. It gets decent reviews, much lower sales. Um, the hit that charted the highest side from Crazy was a song called Going On, which I remember vaguely. Uh, that hit 88 in the Hot 100, so not nearly the same level. And since 2008, they haven't 
come back to collaborate again. There's been rumors about a third album. In 2013, CeeLo said they would release one in the future. We got an update in 2017. He said they started one and are halfway in. But we have some overtures from the other projects that may not have stood the test of time. So we don't know yet. And this was now three years ago. So I don't know if we're ever going to get that third album. It would be cool. But yes, TBD. So Gnarls Barkley might have stalled out after a few years, but that was not the case for the other two artists. Like I mentioned, they have careers long after Gnarls Barkley, particularly Danger Mouse. Um, after Crazy, he stayed a crazy busy dude. He forms more collaborations with other artists and releases albums from that. Uh, he went by a name called Joker's Daughter. Danger Mouse and Sparkle Horse. The alt-indie group Broken Bells, which had pretty good success. Danger Mouse and Danielle Lupi in 2011. And most recently in 2019, Karen O and Danger Mouse. And aside from these side projects, which I just counted one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, he's produced many, many albums for huge artists. Gorillas, like I mentioned. Like, basically all the Black Keys albums. Beck, Modern Guilt. Electric Guest, Nora Jones, Portugal the Man, two albums there. Uh, U2, which was a massive artist a few decades before. ASAP Rocky, at long last ASAP. Adele 25, one of the best-selling albums of all time. Red Hot Chili Peppers, Parquet Courts, and many more. And when you consider Danger Mouse, like I mentioned, he got started in trip-hop. His first collaborations were with hip-hop artists, and then he works with CeeLo Green, who had his beginnings in hip-hop. All those artists I just mentioned are really a different genre. He started as trip-hop, CeeLo kind of introduced him to soul, and I think what he's known for now is maybe like kind of defining the sound of uh, late 2000s, early 2010s adult alternative rock. Like The Danger Mouse sound is basically the black keys or portugal the man like it, it can't be separated from that and he sculpted that and it really dominated that genre for years so CeeLo green on the other hand he's had his positives and negatives we'll get into both sides so you think about crazy and gnarls barkley is interwoven with the guy who sings the song if you google gnarls barkley one of the first Google search recommendations that pops up is why did Gnarls Barkley change his name to CeeLo Green? <laughs> Which is sad. I mean, and yeah. he was CeeLo Green before Gnarls Barkley. He was CeeLo Green after. But that just shows what kind of effect releasing a song like Crazy in the middle of your career has. But he was pretty successful on the charts and in other ventures after this. Uh, he's best known, aside from Crazy, for a little song named Fuck You or Forget You um, in 2010 off the album The Lady Killer. Uh, that was a pretty high-charting song. He was one of the first judges of The Voice, a TV show that is still going. Goody Mob came back in 2013 with an album Age Against the Machine, 20 years after their formation. In 2016, he briefly assumed the alias Gnarly Davidson. So you could tell he's like just trying to recapture that magic. And he released a song called Fuck Me, I'm Famous. <laughs> and uh, one of the most classic images of CeeLo Green is him appearing in all gold. And this happened at the 2017 Grammys. He's actually trying to portray this alias Gnarly Davidson by doing that. 
and not, nobody remembers it for that. They just remember why CeeLo C-3PO. <laughs> so, you know, he's zany. He's doing some music. He's doing some TV stuff. He's releasing music. He releases three more albums after The Lady Killer. The most recent just came out a few weeks ago on June 26, 2020. But none to the success of Fuck You or Crazy. And sadly, what he's maybe most famous for in this decade is some of the controversy he's gotten involved in. Uh, he tweeted homophobic remarks in 2011 after journalists criticized his lackluster stage presence. He tweeted, and I quote this, I'm guessing you're gay, and my masculinity offended you? Question mark. What? Uh, yeah, I don't know either. I'm going to let that speak for itself. Um, aside from the homophobia, he was also accused of sexual assault in 2012, later pled not guilty to furnishing a controlled substance, which was ecstasy, and a no contest um, to a similar charge. He was sentenced to 52 AA meetings and 360 hours of community service, and then two years later, he would tweet out against his sexual assault case. I'm not going to say what he said because it's pretty vile, and he deactivated his Twitter account afterward. But he was basically victim-blaming. That's all I'll get into. Uh, pretty disgusting stuff. Um, but, you know, it's a nuanced character. He's made some great music. Maybe not the best person. We see that a lot. It's hard to separate the art from the artist. Uh, do with that information as you will. We'll link out to some of the stories and you can draw your own conclusions. But it's not all good. So I have a question for you guys as we wrap this up. Maybe taking on a lighter turn. Would you classify Gnarls Barkley as a one-hit wonder? Yeah. Yeah, the group, I'd say so. I mean, the term one-hit wonder is kind of amorphous. And, like, if you're getting really strict, they did have, like, Gone Daddy Gone and then Run a few years later. Um, but, I I mean, no one... Like, like I'm not going to say no one remembers them for the other ones, but when you have those songs and then crazy like it's just not even in the same stratosphere yeah crazy was like their magnum opus that they hit like from the start like you said it was their first song and then it's just like too big too fast and like how, how do you follow that up with anything you know yeah. maybe even like they said like it was the song top 100 song of all time um by rolling stones and all this and it's like how do you yeah hit you know have lightning strike twice in the same place it doesn't happen all the time like that so i would say that from their perspective of gnarls barkley one hit wonder you could even go as far as saying that CeeLo green's solo career he's a one hit wonder with some stuff i mean fuck you was huge but like i mean I other than, if he didn't songs. have fuck you yeah, yeah. classifying right i mean goody one. mob had you know obviously but like even just solo stuff maybe like you could argue that Seal Green had some was a one hit wonder too, depending how yeah. you really look at it. Um, but I wouldn't yeah, even it's say just interesting. I wouldn't even say he's like. When I think about Goody Mob songs, I'm not thinking about the CeeLo parts. To be no. honest, yeah, that's true no. too. So yeah, I would say that you're right in saying that, Ryan, because yeah, they had the song and it just happened to be one of the most kick ass songs of all time. But like, you know, sometimes that's that's what happens. Yeah, nobody wants to classify them as one-hit wonders because if you look at their whole careers, both of them, they've done a lot. Um, Danger Mouse, I'd argue, more than CeeLo. Um, I'd argue Crazy was the highlight of CeeLo's career. 
it's definitely a highlight of Danger Mouse's, but maybe not the highlight if you look at all the work he's done. Um, but yeah, if you look at them as the artist, Niles Barkley, yes, it's a one-hit wonder. If you look at all the things CeeLo has done and all the things Niles Barkley have done, it's getting more complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some people might out there might be like, this Niles Barkley fellow is a one-hit wonder too, because they don't know. Uh, even yeah. that it is two people. <laughs> two One exactly. of the most successful side projects of all time, possibly. Oh, yeah, for sure. Quite possibly. Well, thank you for that breakdown of Gnarls Barkley, which is CeeLo Green and Danger Mouse. Chris, break down this production for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I, I know, like, I know on the face... This is definitely something that I'm going to keep coming back to with some of the most memorable songs of this era. Um, And just in general, when you have a song that's so simple on its face, but this effective, it takes a lot to go into it to create that. And a big part of it is Danger Mouse, you know, obviously. Uh, he's He's the instrumentalist behind here. But when I say a big part of it is Danger Mouse, I mean Danger Mouse the history. You know, Ryan was kind of mentioning he came up, um, he came up kind of in the trip hop scene and ended up um, kind of into mashups, which you know that uh, and um, and also is evidence in the versatility that he's displayed since as a producer. He's a guy who is a fan of music. You know, he's he knows his stuff he knows his history and that's one of the most effective um effective aspects of a producer particularly one who draws from hip-hop sampling turntablism culture um so danger mouse um so danger mouse we we mentioned you know came up in the mixtape era but before that was he started enamored with trip hop and trip hop is one of my one of my favorite uh genres of the 90s i'd say um it's it's known for um it's known for taking kind of the core elements of um 90s hip hop and taking the boom bap beats and particularly the the samples um that characterize that era and creating something new over it with modern instrumentation and electronic influence and that's kind of what danger mouse did here um the song at its core is based around um two songs that it samples one of which is just sampling the drums and the other one is sampling multiple sections of the song to create the melody and um and the bass line so we'll start with the drums um the drums are a sample of garnet mims stop and check yourself from 1972 it's a really um it's a really lovely little uh groove honestly i mean the best the best drums that make hip hop samples trip hop samples any manner of drum sample are the ones that are so effective that you can take a looped bit and it can go forever um there's a reason that one of the most sampled drum breaks of all time is when the levy breaks Um, There's a reason that one of the most sampled uh, drum breaks of all time is the Amen break. Um, They're they're iconic because they're so deceptively perfect. When you think about a person drumming this, in this case, a studio drummer, no less, 
you know, someone behind the scenes nailing out a perfect drum beat that can be used decades later to bring that groove in. That's incredible. Um, so the entire drum beat is sampled, processed after the fact, obviously. It's much more um, it's much more compressed and has a much stronger low end than the original. Um, it's it's that loop, the entirety of the song, um, with uh, with chops and variations. Part of the four count um, is using the initial kick drum. But um, one other characteristic that came from this, um, and if you listen to the original studio recording, it will jump out immediately, is that just by its by a product of its time, um, the song has a fantastic uh, just layer of vinyl crackle over it. Um, and that vinyl crackle translates directly into crazy. Um, and the way that Danger Mouse kind of processed the beat, I think is really smart because it brings out um, it brings out all the all the best elements of the drum beat. It, it, it brings it center stage, brings it up to speed with modern processing. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he did a little bit of layering subtly with something that sounded kind of similar because it does sound that much more crisp. But he brings down the static um, to the point that it's almost like a little soft um, background. Um, I always kind of think of it um, from a mixing standpoint when you mix in some sort of like ambient um ambient drone like that usually vinyl crackle but in general whenever you mix in an ambient drone it's like it's almost like you like you paint the canvas first with like a little layer like you can hear the you can hear the each crackle it's like you can see the brush the brush strokes on the background of an impressionist painting it really sets the stage um that that uh <laughs> I, I just realized that metaphor also fits perfectly with the music video but we'll get into that um the it sets the stage for the song it brings you that nostalgic feeling but it's not left in there so bluntly as to overtake the song and make it sound dated it's really tasteful um and it it makes the drum beat kind of glue together with the other major sample which is actually going to make up the vast majority of the song um so this other sample is both the bass um the bass line that goes through the entire song the other component of the four count and then you know it it literally goes throughout the song the the drum and the bass are pretty much entirely droning um that's uh that's actually going to be a sample of the very beginning of last man standing from gianfranco riverbi um and john piero riverbi um riverberi i don't know whatever um <laughs> these great composers who i'm butchering the names of um and it's actually from the soundtrack to um the 1968 spaghetti western movie django prepare a coffin um and that's going to be a prequel to um to the better known django which would eventually be kind of remade and um interpreted to become django unchained several years after this song um Quentin but Tarantino. yep uh yep Quentin Tarantino and and they and um you know Danger Mouse has reference like he loves that era because it kind of takes a like he loves the the Quentin Tarantino vibe of just taking those songs seamlessly merging them into modern styles and scenes to kind of create uh a new classic um it's very turntablist I I think it's a it's a genius sample um but 
what uh what's awesome too is that in addition to the bass line he actually uses a, a string bit later on that um that forms the entire rest of the melody he pull he pulls the chords from it and recreates it but the string bit is doubled tripled it's given a really really strong ensemble effect um and it's it's playing throughout the entire uh chorus of the song and merging with CeeLo's vocals. Um, CeeLo is basically becoming a choir of himself that harmonizes with this with this 1960s string sample. It's haunting. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's, in, it's incredible how well it works, especially that, you know, it, it it's so minimal. You know, the verse is just CeeLo talking over these two samples battling it out the drum and the and the bass um very little instrumentation on top of that there's a couple of little percussive flares but mostly it's just those and then the chorus just erupts and then it shrinks right back down and then it it, it drones a little bit longer and then it erupts again it shrinks back down that's it that's a song it's a, it's it, it I, I believe it does one more repeat with uh with a lyrical variation but it's not a complex song structurally um but that just goes to show the power of a really smart turntablist and producer he takes those elements and he makes them he makes them into a structure that seems timeless both in terms of the end effect you listen to that song and it could i feel like i i always kind of it doesn't sound like 2006 to me it sounds like crazy you know, it sounds like a moment in time, but absolutely not a moment. timeless. Like you can't exactly. place where it doesn't. It doesn't sound like it's tethered to any time period at all. Um, what what I do think, um, what I do think is uh, also incredible about that though is it gives you that feeling of nostalgia, but present nostalgia in a way. Like it's like you're in that moment you're remembering, and for a pop song. You know, again, like one that just rocketed up the charts. Like that's pretty rare. Um, one of my, one of my favorite um, one of my favorite things about this song um, is that uh, Young, forgive me if you mentioned this already, but um, I don't I don't believe that you did. Uh, they actually pulled the song from iTunes for for a period. Um, at its peak. yeah, they were worried about um, it being overblown, oversaturated within the market after the digital success that it had which is hilarious <laughs> like that would not happen today they just never burn. and what that kind of shows to me is they had like they knew this was special you know like this is this is the sort of thing where you you kind of have to have that tasteful amount but you have to be restrained because otherwise you hear it long enough and you'll realize yeah it's just two parts alternating but um, but as it is, you know, we got just enough of it. It it was perfectly effective. I think it was um, kind of your point about um, about Danger Mouse and the rest of his career, kind of a kind of a great starting point for that Danger Mouse sound. Um, kind of a great uh, kind of great preview of his ear for other genres, particularly rock. I mean, it's it's a, it's a great like Western uh, baseline. And I think it also, you know, draws out some of the best characteristics of CeeLo's voice. 
Um, he does have an incredible voice, a very unique voice for that matter. And the way it melds with those strings is, I think, the key, like, the key ingredient in the song that no one else could ever replicate. Even if you, even if someone pulled out the trip hop vibes of those samples, which, first of all, on paper, if you, if you think spaghetti Western plus, uh, plus like old, um, 70s soul drum loop, like, you don't necessarily think of anything as mournful and dramatic here, but it's the way he positions those strings that's so trip hop and so massive attack of Portis head. Like it just brings you into this dark scene that that just explodes in color with CeeLo. And it's it's one of those songs that you listen to nowadays and yeah, it, again, it just holds up. Um I think there's something really special about how this one turned out. To be honest, I'm not surprised necessarily about um, about just how much higher its peak was than everything else that Gnarls Barkley did because I don't know how you recreate something like this. Like, I, I also think that a big part of why none of the rest of their songs popped off, I remember listening through The Odd Couple and nothing stuck with me. And that's because it's nothing, kind of chaotic. Exactly. Nothing is as simple. Nothing is as like is as effective at dramatic just at at setting a dramatic scene and telling a dramatic story. Nothing else on that album is that clean. You know, it's kind of they were just throwing elements at the wall to see what stuck, and um sometimes it works, you know. Um I don't think anything else did to this degree. Um I think it. I think uh, you made a great point um, tying this back to Portugal, the man, um, black, black, black keys, keys and yeah. just in general, like that whole sound that still kind of persists to this day. I think Arctic Monkeys as well, um, and well, especially their later stuff. Like that's a, you know, that's a sound that's going to be around for a while, and I think it can be traced directly back to what he did here. It's not. It's not true trip hop, you know you're it's much more it's something much cleaner and much more ethereal and i think i think danger mouse really started something here that we're gonna be able to look back to and trace back to crazy for decades yeah like when i hear a black key song any up from their first three albums or portugal the man like you know that's danger mouse like broken bells it's a very unique sound and you can hear it and across all the artists that he collaborated with or produced for, but I can't yeah. quite put my finger on what is that Danger Mouse sound. And I think you kind of laid it out. Um, it's yeah. not quite trip hop. It's something with the drums and blending with, you know, strings or guitar in the case of rock um, in a way that other mm-hmm. producers can't. But is there anything that kind of defines that sound he's created for adult alternative around the turn of the decade? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing... I think the baseline is a key component. Um, the baseline plus a re- relatively minimal drum loop, that kind of interplay, I think, is central to it. You think about um, uh, multiple Black Keys songs, really. Um, and you think about, um, like, Do I Want to Know by the Arctic Monkeys and whatnot. And what you remember is that baseline, which almost becomes a hook, plus that drum gr- that drum groove that just, like, shakes you, you know? Um, and I think a big part of that is 
you know, he's sitting in the studio with these two samples and, you know, you can almost hear how meticulously he melded them together. Um, I, it almost, it's almost like, like he, he brought them to life again, dusted them off and then used them and put them back in the same time capsule and sent them back together unified. Like the, and I think that's kind of the, kind of the core of that sound is you you get this you get this hybrid of old and new um a lot of it kind of harkens back to a lot of old rock um but still sounding more produced and pristine than anything would have back in the day yeah i agree completely and that's part of what you said earlier too chris with like just the swelling like i'm going to talk about in a second but i think that like plays in with the crazy persona of like things coming to a head and just swelling up and then down and everything too so um yeah i didn't quite want to get into your component of that but that's it's a it's for sure i think meant to mirror the lyrics oh yeah so and danger mouse is i mean he's an amazing producer that many people might not have heard about or didn't know what he was involved in so i'm glad that we get to break down what he's done but thank you again for the breakdown of the production lot to break down even if it's so minimal the keep it simple stupid that works a lot of the time but also incredible that you find two things that don't work and maybe that is crazy as well (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah let's break down some of these lyrics here so First thing I want to start off with these lyrics. Um, Chris kind of mentioned it, and we've mentioned it too, that CeeLo's voice for this song was perfectly intertwined. So the voice is very constant the whole time. I know he goes up and down and like register, and you know, he has to in order to hit the notes, but it is pretty monotone when you really hear a lot of it. And I think that's kind of part of it too, to go along with the production of being like, this is my state of mind and this is what crazy is like to me. And it's kind of just one bar that it's going through the whole time. Uh, he doesn't really raise his voice a lot or change from that, you know, center of plane that he kind of puts it at. And I think that that's pretty genius as well uh, for this. Steph had mentioned earlier that it's supposed to be the persona of this guy named Gnarls Barkley. That is maybe a little bit, you know, maybe he's famous. Maybe he's, you know, a little, promiscuous he gets out there but he's kind of wrapping his head around society and what he's supposed to be so the whole song is societal so it's society actually looking at him and he's questioning it and in the chorus he says it does that make me crazy he says it three times and then what i thought was interesting is that he actually says three different things after the chorus so he says possibly for the first one just like me for the second one and then probably for the third one. And you you hear it when you're in there, you know, when you're listening to things, but there's a lot going on and you're like, oh, what is, you know, kind of it. But the possibly just like me probably is, is kind of telling and it's actually pretty cool how they do that. And if it's all in one take too, you know, like you're going through and you're doing this all, CeeLo did it all in one take right away. And just to nail it and have things that kind of resonate by changing one word at the end of those choruses. Usually when you have a chorus, it's the same, but changing that one word really does help the song move along from first to second to third verse um, in there. So I'll kind of, you know, break down a little bit of the lyrics. The whole song itself is 
like I said, societal. Um, he mentions things such as, you know, remembering when he lost his mind. So that could have been when he became famous. It could have been other things. It's noted that CeeLo Green says himself that he is crazy and that you have to be crazy to be a musician. And some of my favorite musicians, you know, have mental issues and they have things that are going on with their lives. And you see it a lot of the time, too. So it is like telling to that is like, is it true that you have to be crazy? You have to have these things in your mind that make your brain tick a little bit differently from, you know, CeeLo dressing differently to the way that his album titles were all these different type of things. So, you know, maybe he's putting some of that where he's felt his whole life about this uh, with crazy too. He says he's out of touch. He says that, you know, he has to think twice and all this type of stuff that's going on too. So the first verse is, is pretty straightforward with that, with, you know, just saying like your emotions had an echo and so much space. It's all this thing that he's wrapping his mind around. And the second verse, you know, he says, I hope you're having the time of your life, but you think twice or, but think twice. That's my only advice. Now, who do you, who do you, who do you, who do you think you are? And I think that that's something that people think about when they're like, am I crazy? Like, who am I? Who, who are you? What's going on in life? And then he laughs to himself. And I think that's one of the coolest lines in the song where he does it. And it's like, ha ha ha, bless your soul. You really think you're in control. And it's like this thing that I think that people, you know, kind of think about that when they're like am i crazy is someone else crazy what is going on that's kind of what the second verse is bouncing off it's like bouncing off of like what is sanity are you saying am i saying am i crazy or are you crazy so that's why he says well i think you're crazy just like me and then the third verse is all about idolization actually so he talks about heroes losing their lives um out on the limb and he thought that i want to be like them and ever since I was little, it looked like fun. And it's no coincidence I've come and I can die when I'm done. And it's a pretty bleak and, you know, out there line because, you know, like you don't get a lot of artists talking, not in this time, even more so about their mentality. Um, you think of 808s and Heartbreak with Kanye about people really, you know, getting introspective and talking about pain and things in the hip hop scene. CeeLo is in Goody Mob, right? They weren't really talking about that type of stuff, but this was his way maybe to break out of what was going on. And maybe it was personal for CeeLo. Maybe it was just the persona, but it really is just a lot of lyricalness that you think about and you hear that it's like the song is chilling, but the lyrics are also chilling. And it is really introspective and, you know, like I'm crazy, you're crazy. Maybe we're all crazy, but we're all living here. And who's to decide what and what is not crazy from not only society, but also maybe just doctors, anything. It, it's kind of open to interpretation a little bit too. Yeah, I think it's crazy for a song that's like barely under three minutes how much growth this character has. Like yeah. you mentioned with the choruses, they go, possibly, just like me, probably. He's like saying, I'm possibly crazy. Everybody's crazy. I'm definitely crazy. And yeah. it's crazy how much growth one song can share in a few verses and three courses yeah and chris talks about it too because like the swelling i think like the swelling like brings with it i mean like 
you know, we've all had moments in our lives where you feel like things are kind of getting out of control and you feel like things are just swelling and it kind of just pops. But like, and this song, like you mentioned, Chris, like it swells up and it doesn't really pop. Like it swells in and out. So like, maybe that's like part of it all too, that like, you know, it's this never ending cycle of feeling this way, which happens to people. And, you know, that's it. It was a perfect interpretation of what, quote unquote crazy is do y'all think that um you know anthony you were talking about like obviously at that time it was a little bit left of center to be talking about the sort of things in pop but i mean do you think um do you think that like the julia michaels type uh songwriters of the world you know you think that this might have given some direct inspiration there see you see like one of the biggest songs of the decade and possibly ever talking, talking so bluntly about mental illness and um, just self-examination. Like I, I can see, I can see some influence. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely can see influence just in general too. And like, I mean, people like songs like this. I mean, like they like it for a reason because it is telling of what people feel like, whether you want to admit it or not. So mm-hmm. I think that this could have definitely had, you know, a, a chance to give many, many people the inspiration, um, whether they knew it or not, that they could talk about mental illness and different type of things that they're feeling freely and openly and make a killer song out of it and also have commercial success with it too. I think that's Mm -hmm. maybe what you don't see as much of and you still didn't see it as much, but like this was a very commercially successful song and if they didn't pull it off the, you know, iTunes or wherever, it could have even got bigger and bigger, but they decided not to. And I think that that's kind of telling too, because maybe they wanted to stick that way of being like, we want it to be what it is and we don't want it to oversaturate. And we want it to be, you know, this song about being crazy and what we can break down and control, yeah. which you can't control when you're, you know, feeling that way. I, yeah. From the law of economics, I think this song was so popular because the supply of, um, songs that sounded like this and had lyrics like this was so low at the time like yeah, mental sure. illness was still somewhat stigmatized now it, this song kind of embraces it like that swelling can be a double-sided coin like he's coming to terms that he's crazy he could be embracing it it's nuanced he could be scared of it um i think it kind of changes as the song gets longer um mm-hmm. it changes its tune and i think people reacted to this song by purchasing it because there was nothing on the radio like this. And like Anthony said, that they knew that and they knew they had to control the supply. And they did just that. Yeah. Well, another great breakdown of a one best songs of all time, actually. And yeah. I think it's one that, I won't say it gets lost, but it's one that you don't think about all the time. But then when you hear yeah. it, you're like, it's incredible. So I'm glad that we got to break this one down and that it came to, unpack. to be... Yeah, it came to be so, like, you know, naturally, too, that we did this one. So, hope you guys like that. We're going to get into some segments here. Um, We're going to do our big segment, the top 10 back then. The top 10 back then. The top 10 back then will be brought to you by Chris. Chris, take it away with what is going on with this top 10. Yeah, so, um, as a matter of fact, um, this song would go on, probably surprising, um, 
to peak at number two in America. We were one of very few countries where it did not top the charts. But I'm excited to see what was number one and, and blocked it. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. This is our first song from 2006 that we're doing, I believe, too. So we're kind of like in this where we're like, oh, what's it going to be? Well, and um, I was going to say, so it did. So it did end up at number seven that year on the Hot 100, and um. I, I don't believe the song about this was that high. I could be wrong. I will check halfway through this when I get around to it. But um, I will say this. I think this is my favorite top 10 uh, that I've seen so far that we've done. Oh, there have been great ones. So this is. That's a high endorsement. I like every single song here. So I'm going to get into it. Um, just, yeah, from the top 10. Starting at number 10 with a song that we've actually covered. Um, we've got Over My Head by The Fray. Oh. In fact, the the inspiration for the name of this very program. Wow. Okay. Was this on its way down? It's um so it had already peaked. Um okay. but it's it's uh it's on it's moving up a spot this week. It had hmm. peaked at eight, but um yeah, it's back in the top ten, hanging around. So, um, we we've talked ad nauseum about the phrase. So why don't we move yeah, on? Go check to... out our episode if you haven't listened to it. Episode number three. Let's uh let's move on to a song that is on its way down after having peaked at number one. Um, I believe late two thousand five, maybe early two thousand six. Um, Riding by Chameleon Air and Crazy Bone. Yes, I always forget Great the song. Crazy Bone feature. Yeah, it's a you're crazy like Crazy Bone. He says, he said, uh, one of the lines is, he goes, you know, Crazy Bone ain't trying to have no babies. <laughs> That's Did you guys lines. ever play Crazy Bones? I remember it, but I never played it. I, I was uh, heavily involved. Like, it was ruthless. <laughs> like, you would, you would play and you would hit um, other kids' Crazy Bones, and if they knocked over, you got to keep them. Yeah, I remember the, it was, it was basically like Pokemon cards, but you play for keeps. Yeah, it was savage. Uh, that's what Crazy Bone, the artist, always reminds me of. That's why, well, that's why Bone, our generation the artist is, that, is that way. Spells it differently and also is yeah, part of Bone Thugs and Harmony, who's before that. So, But also, if you play Crazy Bones, there you go. Yeah. So in another example of a song that hit number one, uh, did not necessarily outpeak uh, um, Crazy in the long term, this was the eighth biggest song of the year, just a spot below. So... Um, a spot above that is another one that I think Anthony's going to be pretty excited about. Um, we've got Snap Your Fingers by <laughs> Lil John featuring E-40 and Sean yes. Paul of the Youngbloods. Uh, <laughs> wow. Great song. I love that I love that Sean Paul of the Youngbloods was consistently yeah. <laughs> credited as Sean Paul of the Young Youngbloods. He, he, he had to rep. He had to rep. Yeah, great to, song. He had to make sure you didn't, you didn't, you know. We we all know Sean Paul. Great synth line in this song. Yeah, uh, I, I would say it's one of the best Little John beats. It's like yeah. the most 2006 song you'll. Hear. It's up there. It's up there. <laughs> it's so, up there with "Party Like a Rockstar" for one of the best songs of all time. You know, it's a, it's a thing. <laughs> um, so here's another thing. Uh, one one spot above it is. Um, is a song that did not quite make it to the top of the charts, but did have a pretty long stay in the top 10. Ain't No Other Man by Christina Aguilera. Now that is a great song. 
Wow, yeah, the uh, brass in this song. The production. Amazing. Let me see. DJ Premier produced that song. Oh, I did wait, not know really? that. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. That makes wow. sense. I could see it. Yeah. 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 No, it makes sense. I just would have never guessed. Um, you, you don't. The more you I know. I always thought this song was older than 2006, too. This song know, is a banger. It is a banger. Um, Got like kind of little little garage drums. Like, um. So this was actually at uh, a position. It had just peaked. Um, its peak was number six. Weirdly, I would have thought it was higher. Um, but it's hanging out at number seven this week. Um, I'm listening to it right now. Yeah, I know it's a great one. Um, the song that is just above it, however, is another great one by an artist that we've recently covered. This is "Unfaithful" by Rihanna. Wow, I mean, yeah, the song's pretty damn good. Very dramatic. Now, narrative. Un- "Unfaithful" is at its peak this week. At number six, I was gonna ask, yeah, how high did that go? Because it's definitely not one of her it's not. top singles. But it was part of her. It was definitely part of her ascent. I think this was one of her first like ballad singles that really, um, that really made a hit. Um, so that's you know worth mentioning. Um, showed versatility yeah, definitely growth on her part. Yeah, um, yeah. So um, right above that, this is a this is a great top ten. Um, I, I'm really happy with this one. It's going down by Young Jock is steady at number five for a second week in a row. Oh, okay. I used to listen to this song before like baseball games. Um, hey, speaking of like Roxy's, twelve, and I was like, I was like, meet me at the club. It's going, it's going down. down. Meet me at the mall, and yeah. you're like, I mean, I'm like, I don't know what's going down because I'm twelve, but but something's. But going it's down. going down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is uh, so this was the this would go on to be the 18th biggest song of the year and peaked at number three just a couple weeks before. Wow. Um, Young Jock had my favorite flavor of rap snacks. It was a honeydew. Good one. Yeah, Young Jock is Young Jock has an a large amount of good songs that people don't give him credit for. I um, was thinking about Young Jock this week actually um, yeah. because he's in um, he's in the Buy Your Drink. Yes, exactly. That's and I heard that I, it came up on Spotify. I must have hit the end of whatever I was listening to, and that came on. I go, Young Jock, and then I was like, Hey, yeah, he he had some hits. He's also in the very underrated song "Kill Up" by Cherish. Yes, and he was friends with David Banner too. So yeah. you're like, I, I I always get you get the David Banner and Young Jock. Yeah, like me. Yep, yep. So that's a. Uh... And that's another Roxy's anthem. I'm pretty sure uh, "Snap Your Fingers" was also played at Roxy's plenty of, many mm-hmm. a time. But I those two snap. for sure. Um, so one spot above that, we have a song that I have very fond memories of, and I want to vouch for eventually doing an episode on. Uh, Stefan, you will probably agree. Um, "Hips Don't Lie" by Shakira and Wyclef uh, Jean. Isn't this a great top ten? <laughs> this is stacked. Uh, Akira is, did this at the Super Bowl uh, this last year. Yeah. It, it was beautiful. It was amazing. Everyone everyone knows this song. Um, and speaking of Roxy's, this, this was a Roxy song too. I would shake my yeah. ass and I guess my that's hips true. would it not was. lie with that, this no. song. Yeah, the boomers were offended at that Super Bowl performance, but it's like Shakira and J-Lo, and I'm like, where were you in 2006? Shakira's an this icon. not the first time they've been shaking their hips. Yeah, no. So great song. So this song actually did outpeak crazy on the year end, uh, fifth biggest song of the year. 
It was number one for several weeks, and it ended up being the 93rd biggest uh, song of the decade. I honestly feel like it was, it probably could have been a bit, um, a bit bigger than that. Wow. Nope. Let me just back that up. It's 93rd of all time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Billboard. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. That, um, that makes sense. I don't know where it is on the decade, but I was like, yep, that pretty high. I would bet. Yeah. But, um, that's a classic. I remember me and my sister used to know the entire song and would just randomly sing it in the car. My mom would be like, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I feel like yeah. this was a lot of like what I think of like us like hearing different culture music. This was the big one. And then Gasolina by Daddy Yankee yeah. were like the two biggest ones that you get like the Latin, you know, songs. And then you'd be like, oh, this, this shit slaps. But then... <laughs> You, but then, like, you wouldn't, when I was younger, I wouldn't listen to, you know, Latin-influenced music. Now I do more and more, but it's one of those that you, was a crossover, and you're like, okay, like, I was yeah, this is amazing. I think, um, yeah, I think this is, this crazy or this next song are probably my favorite of this top ten, but I literally love every song on this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this next well. song, <laughs> Hanging Out at Number Three. Can you can you guys just can we talk for a minute about me and you by Cassie? <laughs> it is requested to do this song. I by have multiple people. I have I I I love this song. It's at its peak this week. Number three should have been number one. Um, it is one of the best dance like like R and B hip hop pop dance songs of the entire decade. It's the. The beat is so incredible. good. It is. Yeah, it is, is absolutely definitely on a now like, CD. Yeah, it was also a Roxy song. I remember it multiple times. Um, the, great song. Just, Where did Cassie go after this? Well, <laughs> she probably so, made a fuck ton of money and was like, I'm "Yeah." Like, so, Cassie, I want to say was um, was dating Diddy for over a decade. Um, yeah. So around this time she started dating him and they didn't break up until 2018. Um, she, uh, yeah. And then she, they broke up in 2018 and then she got in a, in a relationship with a bull rider in late 2018. Uh, they then got married and had a child. Wait, did you say a bull rider? I did a bull rider. Like Like a yeehaw bull rider. Yeah. Like he, like a matador. Wait, a matador is different than a bull rider. Wait a minute. I don't know if that. I don't know what the difference is. It, like, a bull rider rides rides the bull. A matador taunts the bull. Okay, he rides it. Okay, he's yeehaw. yeehaw. He's yeehaw. Yeah. Yeah. So now you know whatever. I I don't know too much about Cassie's personal life. I'm just reading this, but (laughs) I but I will say this. It seemed that she is now she is now settled down. Has a has a beautiful daughter named Frankie um who is adorable according to their instagram pictures and yeah she made one of the best songs of the decade and said yep here we go and now it's just me and you her and her bull riding boo she'd been waiting yeah okay tell me if you like it it. (laughs) so that's uh so (laughs) that's me and you great song um just below crazy by Charles barkley hanging out number two for its peak um 
And can you guys guess real quick the number one? 2006. It makes me think that it's another Rihanna song. Late July. Late July 2006. Give you two guesses. Or it's a like really random song that that I. It's not Rihanna. Get, like Rihanna. Not really. It's not Laffy Taffy. Not Laffy Taffy. That was 2005. All right, fuck it. It's promiscuous. Oh, oh no! <laughs> Number one. Yeah. We were gonna do. We, we were thinking about doing an episode. Eventually, we will. I'm sure. We will. Yeah. But wow. Young, young, do you remember when we performed promiscuous? I do. Um, which one of us was Nelly? You were. I was. Uh, I was right? Timbaland. You were Nelly Furtado. I, I want to say. Furtado, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Excuse me. You, you. Where did you perform this? <laughs> so at? this was at our at our high school like graduation um like overnight party. Uh, after graduation, everyone went to this like weird bowling alley or some shit. They and... keep you there so you don't get. Oh yeah, so elsewhere. so everyone yeah. doesn't get wasted. Yeah. 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 But um. But yeah, there was a karaoke thing and we did Promiscuous and it was a hit. I would have paid to see that. It was incredible. Someone should have recorded it, but they didn't because they didn't know art. (laughs) It was like the song title. It was pretty promiscuous. It was God. Wow. So that one was the third biggest song of the year. Um, That was the 44th biggest song of the decade. (laughs) I was thinking to myself, what deserved to the number one spot over crazy? Yeah. They're both great songs. This was number Uh, one for several weeks. Was this higher on the year end list than crazy though? Yeah, yeah. Crazy was uh, number seven, I think. Yeah, number wow, seven. Wow, okay. This was number three. Um, so that and uh, Hips Don't Lie ended up higher. But mo- both make sense, really. I mean, um, but, you know, it's a this is a borderline flawless top ten. That, yeah, like you said, like we go other ones and you're like, oh daughtry's in this one or you're like oh here's this person and you're like oh, yeah okay this is the shine down yeah no, no shine down here there's <laughs> no. no nickelback or anything this is yeah liter- that's this incredible is, this is hits from top from 10 to 1 to 10 again we got over my head by by the fray at number 10 riding by chameleon Air and crazy bone at number nine snap your fingers by Lil john e40 and sean paul of the young bloods at number eight uh, Ain't No Other Man by Christina Aguilera at number seven. Unfaithful by Rihanna at number six. It's Going Down by Young Jock at number five. Hips Don't Lie by Shakira and Wyclef John at number four. Me and You by Cassie at number three. Crazy by Gnarls Barkley at number two. And Promiscuous by Nelly Furtado and Timbaland at number one. Perfect God, that makes top you 10. miss the good old days, doesn't it? Ten out of ten, top ten, I would say. Wow, what a great preteen pool swimming playlist. You did a lot of swimming. You did a lot of swimming at this time. I probably heard these all at the pool, along with crazy. Well, yeah, probably. I was going to say, maybe I didn't hear it's going down on the pool radio, but you know what? I'm just going to say I did. But you should have. I probably sang it. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Go down a water slide. It's going down. It's going down. It's going down. That's our top 10, lads. It'd probably be bad for the pool people to have it's going down because that would insinuate that people are drowning in the water. Maybe like it's going down. So maybe you are not play. wrong. It would be that dark. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us for another episode of over my head. A look back at pops past brought to you by the Los lovely boys. 
you want to hear episodes as they drop, please subscribe, download, listen, wherever you listen to podcasts most. If you want to add your input on this song, please email us at LLC at gmail.com. We do take requests, too. Um, we take in consideration everything that you guys you know give us with songs that we should look into, what we our top fives were like, all this different type of stuff, too. We love your engagement. Also, go follow us on social media. Get the latest on what's going on, behind-the-scene action, polls, all that type of stuff. And for my co-host, Chris and Stefan, hope we weren't too far in over our heads on this one. We'll see you next time. That was a very good episode.